Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 24, from verse 1 to 10. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from, the, from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? This King of glory, the Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm still recovering from that worship. Just such a sense of the presence of God. Um, yeah, we're going to look at Psalm 24 today. So please open your Bibles to that psalm. And I'm going to talk about how we can welcome the King of Glory into our midst. How do we more deeply host the radiance, the power, and the presence of the King? How do we corporately become a dwelling place for his glory? It was a question that King David really grappled with. David was the author of this psalm, and for all his failures and weaknesses, I don't know anyone in Scripture who is more intuitively wired towards God. He desired with all of his being to live in the manifest glory of God. As he wrote in another psalm, O Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. So the presence was his priority. And after he made Jerusalem his capital city, the desire of David's heart was to create a dwelling place God for God right there. And his plan involved the Ark of the Covenant, that sacred object upon which the cloud, the heavy, shining glory of God's presence rested, and on top of which was a symbolic throne called the mercy seat. It was the throne of the king of glory. And David desired to bring that throne into Jerusalem. And Psalm 24, the psalm you're holding in your hands, was written by David to be sung and declared as the ark was carried through the gates and the doors of Jerusalem. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. David wanted his city to be a resting place for the presence of the king. But the first attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem was a disaster. He tried to bring the ark, the throne of God, into Jerusalem on the back of a bumpy wooden cart. It was what the surrounding pagan nations did with the statues of their gods, their idols. They would cart them around. It was the world's way of doing things. And David unthinkingly copied the pagans. And when the oxen pulling the cart stumbled and the ark started sliding around in the back, an Israelite called Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the ark to steady it. It was a mistake. It was an act of great irreverence. Imagine going back in time to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth and creeping up to her and just prodding 
her crown. You just intuitively know it's wrong. Except this was worse. He was putting his hand on God's own throne, a grave sin, and Uzzah was struck dead by God. And this absolutely terrified David and his men. So they abandoned their attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And for three months, the ark was just left alone until David made a second attempt. And this time he examined the law. He discovered the ark was meant to be carried by the Levites on two long wooden poles. Why the Levites? Out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, why did God choose the Levites, the tribe of Levi, to handle his presence? Why them? Well, the clue is in our psalm. As it says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. These are the ones who get to host the king of glory. And that was the Levites. And it can be a lesson to us. You may remember when Moses ascended the mountain of God for 40 days, and uh, the Israelites were left at base camp, and they wondered where on earth he'd gone. They didn't know if he was coming back. So they fashioned for themselves a golden calf to worship an idol, a false god. And when Moses came back, he was furious And he rallied those who would remain faithful to the Lord. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me, he said. And the Levites were the ones who rallied to Moses, drew their swords, and purged the camp of idolatry. They refused to bow to the golden calf. As our psalm says, they did not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And what's interesting is that God rewarded them for what they did. Instead of the priesthood being given to the firstborn son of every tribe, which was God's original plan, he now rewarded the Levites alone with the priesthood. The reward for their holiness was to be close to the manifest glory of God. They were given permission to stand in God's holy place, to handle his holy things, minister to him, and even carry the ark of his presence. If we want to consistently and deeply and corporately host the manifest glory of God, then we need to embrace being set apart and holy. You can't separate the glory from holiness. They're synonymous in scripture. In Chronicles it says, ascribe to the Lord glory, worship the Lord in holiness. In Isaiah, the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You have to engage with the holiness of God to truly see his glory. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews, it's written, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we want to host the glory of God, it will require a journey of holiness And the Apostle Paul was explicit about this. It was his teaching. He wrote to the Corinthians telling them they were the temple of God and God himself would dwell with them, but only if they touched no unclean thing. That's the New Testament. That's for every church. Touch no unclean thing and my glory will consistently dwell with you. We have a corporate calling to holiness and priestliness because we are a royal priesthood and we are a holy nation and the glory of God rests on the holy.
but the glory will never rest on a pagan cart. Paul said in Romans, do not be patterned after the things of this world. The glory rests on what is patterned after heaven, heavenly things, not earthly things. How many times in the past have churches faced that temptation to try to just copy the things of the world? Yet if we mimic the, way, the world's ways or values, the glory may lift off, leaving only dry stones and dry bones. Heaven lands on what it recognizes, and that's a set-apart people who are holy. And this is what David discovered that it was God's heart for the Levites, those who were set apart for God, to carry the ark step by step into Jerusalem. And this time it worked. Instead of death, there was life, there was rejoicing, there were shouts, there were trumpets, there was praise. And David worshipped with abandon in front of the ark, casting off his robes, dancing with all his might, as scripture says. He gave himself over to worship. He so longed for God to come that he cast off everything that would hinder his worship, including casting off his royal robes. These were the very robes that marked him out as king. He had the best robes a nation could produce, colored with purple dye, which at the time was more expensive than gold. His robes identified David as king, they exalted David as king. They revealed his status, his glory, and yet he cast them aside to dance and welcome the true king, leaving him wearing only a simple linen undergarment because nothing was more important to David than hosting the glory of God. But his worship cost him Scripture says that David's wife, Michal, saw him dancing from her window and she despised David in her heart. When he returned home, she rebuked him for dishonoring and humiliating himself, acting beneath his royal dignity and uncovering himself before his servants as he danced. But David replied to her, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Has a king ever said anything like that in the whole of human history? Has a king ever cast off the robes of his own dignity in that way? I don't think so. This is radical, radical humility. A desire to worship God in abandon, even if it meant David had to lower himself to a place of complete indignity. You see, pride keeps you buttoned up but David here was unbuttoned, unconcerned with the scorn of others, undignified, undone. He put his pride to the sword to dance before the Lord. If David danced like that in many churches today, he would probably attract scorn and pity in equal measure. He might be considered an embarrassment. But it was this very man who God chose to bring the ark of God's presence, the glory, into Jerusalem for the very first time. Why him? Because humility attracts heaven. Humility attracts heaven. 
One of my favorite authors, Andrew Murray, wrote this. The lower, the emptier a person lies before God, the speedier and the fuller will be the inflow of divine glory. If we really want to host the presence in ever-increasing, ever-greater measure, then we have to let go of all of our dignity and pride and be prepared to bear the scorn of Michal. The glory of God will never rest on status, success, respectability, reputation. The shining glory will never rest on our own shine. It never has and it never will. But David was willing to part with those things, even as a king, in order to host God's glory. Psalm 138 verse seven says this, the Lord is close to the lowly. David experienced that. But the verse also says this, the proud he knows from afar. Could there be a worse judgment than the Lord saying, because of your pride, I will know you for a season from afar. I'm just gonna take a little step back, maybe lift my presence off you a little bit. He's not gonna bless us if you go in the wrong direction, so it's his mercy. In a way, that's terrifying. The Lord will know the proud from afar. But at the same time, it's actually a really exciting challenge because the call to go low is therefore a direct invitation to experience more of God. It's a happy threshold to cross. The Lord is close to the lowly. That's his promise. That's what's exciting about this, that if we go low, the more we humble ourselves, the more the presence of God will rest upon us ever more deeply. The more like David we disrobe ourselves of pride and status, the more the train of God's robe will fill the temple. But each time we're blessed with a greater measure of the presence of God, we must respond by going lower still. That's how to steward the presence of God. The better things go, the more we go low, or the glory will go. So David danced, he disrobed, the ark was carried in, and the glory came into Jerusalem. And whatever structure the ark was placed in throughout its long history, whether it was in Moses' tabernacle or David's tent or Solomon's temple, wherever it was placed, the ark of God's presence was at the very center and was honored above all. The presence of the king of glory is always meant to be center stage, and that was never meant to change. We're to gather around his throne, his glory, on earth as they do in heaven. We're not meant to gather around anything else. However virtuous, however impressive, whether gifting or programs or even good theology, whatever it is, the presence of the king is to be center stage and encountering his glory should be our most passionate pursuit. That was David's heart. So he made the ark the center of worship in Israel and his son Solomon later built the temple where the glory would dwell. And for around a thousand years, this psalm, Psalm 24, was regularly read and sung out in the temple by the priests and the musicians. And at the end of that thousand years after the ark was carried in, Jesus himself 
was carried into Jerusalem on a donkey. The throne had been brought in, and now the king himself was finally to make his entrance. And on the day he rode in, this psalm, by divine design, just happened to be the psalm of the day in the temple. It was being declared and sung prophetically at the very moment Jesus came into Jerusalem. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And as Jesus came in, the crowds came out to worship him. They tore palm branches off trees and waved as Jesus rode by. Children lined the sides of the road crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the king who came, comes in the name of the Lord. It's the same celebration as when the ark came in, the same passionate, abandoned worship. David had cast his royal cloak before the ark, and now the crowd were casting their cloaks before Jesus, the son of David, the true king of glory. You see, the greatest manifestation of the glory of God can be found in the person and the presence of Jesus. It says in Hebrews, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Paul wrote that the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus. He's the face in the cloud, and when Jesus comes, the glory comes. And the purpose of church is to welcome the presence of Jesus right into our midst. His power, his voice, his glory. And we are to go after that with everything. But how do we do that? How do we welcome the presence of Jesus in ever-increasing measure? Same way they hosted the ark. Deep reverence, holiness, abandoned worship, and above all else, humility. We must grasp that we are just the donkey that Jesus rides in on. Our identity is royal sonship, but our role is donkey. Particularly if you're in ministry, we're the donkey that has the privilege of hosting Jesus. And the more we embrace that role, the greater the manifestation of the glory of Christ we will experience. As Andrew Murray said, I quote again, the lower a person lies before God, the fuller will be the inflow of the divine glory. To host the glory even more deeply, we have to go lower than we've ever gone before. But that's exactly where the battle lies. Because we quickly find out it's not what the flesh wants. Instead, so often we want to do or be or create something impressive and praiseworthy, something that creates, something that looks good outwardly. How much of the Christian life is trying to dress up the donkey? But if we want to host the King of Glory, he will only come into our midst riding humbly on a donkey into a humble church. He will come to us no other way. Over the years, I've had the privilege of visiting many churches in the UK and the USA, as well as Mexico and rural India. 
on various mission trips. And some of those places were outwardly beautiful and impressive. Others had dirt floors and corrugated iron roofs. Some of them felt a bit flat spiritually. Some of them were absolutely overflowing with God's presence. And I've learned this. Polish does not lead to presence. What looks good on the outside has zero effect on whether the glory shows up or not. And human impressiveness, if idolized, could be more of a hindrance than a help. God responds to reverence, holiness, and above all else, plain humility. He draws close to the lowly. Or as Andrew Murray put it, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. We see this principle throughout scripture when God gave instructions for the clothing of the Jewish high priest. It was very specific. When ministering in the holy place where the lampstand was and the showbread, the high priest was to wear the most incredible outfit, a blue robe with actual bells made of gold all along the bottom, and then another garment made of scarlet and gold threads, a breastplate with 12 special stones embedded in golden clasps, a turban, and a golden crown tied with blue ribbons at the back. It was proper peacocking. And how exalted that individual must have felt. But if the high priest wanted to take one step, literally one small step, just one, into the most holy place, he had to take it all off. If he wanted to go into that place where the ark was, where the manifest cloud of God's glory was, it had to go. He had to derobe like David, remove his outer garments, remove his beautiful robes and his golden crown, all of his finery. He was only allowed into the glory wearing a simple linen undergarment. And God was trying to teach us all something through this. You can stand in my glory if you're willing to lay down yours. Leonard Ravenhill wrote this, the people who get revival will be a humble people. They will have not one thing in which to boast. They will bow low in the stark nakedness of their spiritual unproductiveness and poverty. Human pride can never stand for long in the presence of Jesus. If we want to consistently experience God's tangible glory, then we have to derobe from any trace of human pride and boasting. We have to cast aside everything that pertains to impressiveness or success or shine. Take off our jewels and our fine clothes and cast them down. That is the very divine requirement for taking one step into the most holy place where the glory dwells. And there's no exceptions to this. No matter who you are, pride will never get a pass. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to follow the high priest through that veil, or would we rather dress up the donkey? There's a well-known scene in the book of Revelation where 24 elders are 
bowing down in worship before Jesus on his throne, casting their crowns before him and crying out, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory. Despite their own spiritual royalty, they were giving Jesus the glory, not holding to their own. And these elders were permitted to come very, 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 very close to the throne of glory. They were trusted to be there. I've learned this, our persistent proximity to the presence is predicated on our passion to give God the glory. But as I was preparing for this talk, God gave me a vision of one saint in heaven, no particular person, a symbolic saint, um, who wasn't joining the others in casting his crown. Instead, he was holding this beautiful jeweled crown onto his head like this, with both hands straining to keep it on his head. And he was just holding it on and on and on. And there was something in him that he, could just, he just couldn't let go. He couldn't give his crown to Jesus. He could not let go of his own shine. He couldn't give Jesus that final surrender, that final glory. And then I saw him reach out and actually try to take glory off God. And he was stuffing it in his pockets. And he was literally trying to steal God's glory. And as I watched this scene play out, the Holy Spirit said to me, his crown has become a curse. And over time, because he wouldn't cast it, his crown finally crushed him. It was quite a sobering vision, and it begs the question for each of us, what is our crown? And will we cast it? Will we have that Davidic heart towards God? Because if not, if we ever seek our own glory, then we will miss his glory. If we admire our own shine, then our crown will become a curse. And the more we risk God saying to us, ah, okay, I will know you for a season from afar. Of course, everything I've talked about this morning was modeled by Jesus. He took off his heavenly robes. He unrobed himself from the glory of his own divinity to come to earth wrapped in flesh. He was born in a manger, dressed in muddied hay. As an adult, he took off his outer garment to wash his disciples' feet. Then he took that final journey to Jerusalem, humbly on a donkey and not on any impressive steed. And at the cross, Jesus cast aside his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. He gave up his seamless garment for the Romans to fight over at his feet. And Jesus didn't even get to wear a simple linen undergarment like David or like the high priest. No, he went lower still. He went lower than anyone had ever been before. From heaven down to hang entirely naked on a wooden beam, bearing the shame and bearing the reproach. But he chose to cast his crown and he chose to cast his cloak for the glory of the Father. And he also knew that a much greater weight of glory was waiting for him on the other side. As Easter approaches, this is the perfect time 
to meditate and reflect on the disrobing of Jesus on the cross. The one who went lower than anyone who had ever gone before. And as we follow him on that path, then Jesus will say to us, as he did to the Levites and David and to the high priest in the temple, now I trust you to carry my ark. Now you can stand in my most holy place and dwell in my presence. Now you may experience an even greater measure of my glory because you're willing to lay down yours. Now the king of glory may come in. Amen.